The Ewan Grant Podcast, the Limestone Coast Triple M. G'day, it's Ewan. Welcome to the Ewan Grant Podcast and welcome to everyone joining me on the listener app. Limestone Coasters, Josh Leiter and I are going to chat. We're going to talk about some of the things that you guys are talking about in the Limestone Coast. Sarah Philpott from the Mount Gambier City Council is going to talk all about what was going on at Council last week. Jade Hill is going to talk scams, and we've had some people doing the wrong things on our roads. We'll find out the latest soon. And I am going to tell you all about St. Martin's Lutheran College. They're celebrating their 40th anniversary at the moment, and we're going to catch up with the principal. Let's get things underway. Josh Lider joins me for a chat about all things Limestone Coast. Josh, g'day. Hello. How you going? You good, Josh. Pioneers won on the weekend. Everybody is happy about it. Yes, everybody uh, except for the Kilsar Cobras. Well, uh, um, they don't count. <laughs> exactly right. And it's it's quite interesting being at a home game when there's so much on the line like that. Um, and just, you know, in, in that sort of level of sport where it's just, there is just no noise when the opponent scores. And there is just so much noise when the home team scores. It's, it's not like watching the football where there's going to be some fans there from the other team. This was, the house was packed with Pioneers fans. Um, and it was incredible to see we, the Pioneers had a convincing lead through the entire game and the Cobras kind of pushed back in the last quarter, but wasn't enough. And uh, we won 94 to 84. Now, Josh, one of the really cool things that like we've been talking about on the radio, probably banging on about, is the fact that um, the the final at the Ice House on the weekend was one of the last chances to check out the Ice House because the Pioneers are going to move to Willunder. Um, it was great to see a packed house. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting because I did have that conversation with a few people down there. Um, it's definitely what people are thinking about. And look, I think a lot of people love the Ice House and realise it's it's really, it's done a lot for, for Mount Gambier and for the Pioneers. Um, but then you look at the, the facilities that are going to be opening up soon and it just makes perfect sense. So There, there was a um, reason that it was called the Ice House. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's exactly right. The uh, it, was it Percy the Penguin fit right in. Um, he was very comfortable. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think it'd be really interesting to see. Um, yeah, just what the the future holds and and what basketball looks like in that game. But yeah, exciting stuff. And of course, people have got a chance this weekend to head on down. We've got two games. We've got the one forty one Pioneers women on Friday night. We've got um, the Kassik Rural Pioneers uh, men's team on Sunday. Uh, depending on who wins in the other finals game on the weekend, they'll be uh, playing another home game. So another chance for people to go to the Ice House and relive a couple of memories. Yep, absolutely. This will be, yeah, probably, possibly the last chance. So, um, yeah, yeah, take that opportunity. The atmosphere is incredible out there as well. So go for it. Exactly. Now, mate, uh, talking art, uh, your primary school, some artwork, you highlighted it during the course of the week. What was going on? Yeah, so I went out to Yol Primary, which um, on the outskirts of Mount Gambier, tiny little school, and just there, there's a real energy out there. I like it. It's a real family. I love it. So the year five and six students out there have put on their own little art exhibition. So they've spent the the year kind of researching and learning about art and about the environmental impact of rubbish on our coastline. So they've gone down to Cape Banks um, and they've had a day trip down there and they've created this art in the sand and some people have like done their photography work and just different sort of art. But also while they were down there, they collected some things, rubbish and just things you'd find along the coastline, which unfortunately is a lot of the time just rubbish. And so they've turned that into art and 
The principal, Chris Morrison, said it quite well. She said, the, it's beautiful art, but I'm sure you'll agree it's very sad art mm. uh, because this is the sort of stuff that doesn't belong on a beach. She said there was a, there was a vegetable peeler down there. Like, wh- why is that at a beach? So it was, I think, a great opportunity for the kids to learn, um, but also to put on this event. There was, uh, you know, there were students that were putting on the music and performing and there were students that were handing out food and there's another one taking photos it was really put in the hands of the kids to say look this is your event you need to run this like a like an adult event and they did it so well it was great wow now mate i've got to ask the question do you have a talent anything that you can go hang your hat on um Look, I, I guess that it, it's been a few years, but um, I can rap quite well. I think some people might say, <laughs> "Mate, you are you are in an illustrious group of people in the Limestone Coast who have a talent, and it's a talent that I'm jealous of." And the lady that we're about to talk about now is another lady who I would love to have even an ounce of the talent that she has. April <laughs> Haig is an amazing artist in the Limestone Coast. She's one of many that we have here in the region doing great things. Yeah, she is. It's been really exciting, I think, to see the just the things that she's been able to do as far as public art goes. And uh, it's I, th- I think the, the big thing for me was out at Allendale, the big mural that they did out there that she was a big part of. And then now we've got this, um, the, the portrait project, which isn't just an art installation. It's not just, here's a nice picture. I'm going to put it up there and it looks good. Everyone come and look at it. This was about getting local artists together who, again, very talented and to, to do a self portrait through like a series of workshops where they, they got to share their own ideas and talk with each other and really connect and then create these self portraits and then put them up there. So April was one of the, uh, the 10 that are up there and it's it's now up on display uh on the wall on the side of the nourish nook which is on the corner of bay road and harriet street so definitely have a look at it but yeah again a great opportunity to not only yeah to, to showcase the the art that we the artists that we have here the talent that we have uh but also the process behind it is yeah really fascinating and mate because of the the, the facebook page that you run i mean what are people's responses to the uh the portrait project Oh, I, I love when things like this happen. When I see that, you know, I see the story behind it and I see this this great public art. I love it because I know it's going to get a lot of attention. Um, those posts get the likes. People love seeing people expressing themselves and, um, you know, that success and seeing someone local that they know do something great. Um, and I love seeing the, the yeah, very positive response that you get from that. So, yep, people are thrilled. Josh, it is always good to catch up, to have a bit of a yak, a bit of a gossip about what's going on across the region. Thanks for joining us this morning, mate. No problem at all. Now, Lobster Coasters, there is a lot of stuff that's going on at Council right now, and the lady that knows all about what is going on is Sarah Philpot. She's the CEO of the Mount Gambier City Council. Sarah, g'day. Hello, how are you? You're good. Now, Sarah, do you guys often get questions on notice at Council? Yes, we do. We get questions and motions on notice. So um, that's a way that councillors can uh, ask us in advance so that information can be presented um, on the floor at the council meeting. Now, you got one this month. What was going on? 
Yeah, so this was a question about um, the rail trail. We've done a no stopping zone and pedestrian refuge on uh, the Will Street area where Will Street crosses over the um, the rail trail and the question that we had in front of us was are there going to be others put in, for instance, on Bay Road? Mm. So this was, um, you know, we've had some feedback that having that pedestrian uh, access and the no stopping zone makes it much safer crossing the road and it is our intention to um, to add some more along the rail trail at, at key points including Bay Road. Now there's a lot of other things that took place at Council during the course of this month's meeting and uh, the strategic planning review is underway at the moment. Yes, that's right. So Council adopts a strategic plan for a four-year period and we're at the midway point, so um, two years in. And so we provided a report back to Council that looks at what we've achieved against those strategic plan objectives. So um, if people go to the agenda, they can see that it talks about uh, whether some we haven't started, some we're underway with, some we've completed, and you'd expect that at a midway point mm. in a four-year plan. But it's a, it's a really interesting report about how much work has actually gone on to deliver against the community's objectives that Council adopted a couple of years ago. So um, we will have to do a new strategic plan once our new Council commences, but it's a really good midway point to see just how much has been achieved for the community over the past couple of years. Now, you've also had a spotlight on Capital Works as well. Yes, that's right. Um, Capital Works is so important to us. Uh, as you know, we've got lots of infrastructure that we build and maintain on behalf of the community. And uh, what we took through to Council this time is a report that recognises um, some of the projects that we didn't get to finish in last financial year that we then carry forward and finish in this financial year. So it's part of the way that we make sure that um, we're accounting for our capital works budget and that we uh, keep track of the projects as we go through. So that report went up. Usually we try and deal with that as part of our Budget Review 1, you'll always see Capital Works carry forwards in Budget Review 1. But because we have a local government election this year, the Budget Review itself can't happen until uh, after the election's finished. So we just wanted our Capital Works stuff sorted uh, before we go into Caretaker. Now, Sarah, I know nothing really about how Council works. So what can you tell me about the Activators Alliance? Yeah, sure. So um, so this was a report um, that we took up that was to look at whether council joins the Regional Activators Alliance. So there's a, a body called the Regional Australia Institute and they are an independent body that look at the regions in Australia, how to strengthen the regions, what are critical issues for regional communities. And they have an alliance, which is a group of like-minded councils and other regional bodies, sometimes um, groups of councils or regional development um, Australia-type organisations that, uh, that work together with the Regional Australia Institute to advocate and progress issues that exist in regional Australia. And so uh, I think we've spoken before about our interest in regionalisation and in making sure that the regions aren't forgotten when it comes to investment decisions and to building um, really great communities and so council has resolved to become part of the regional activators alliance which allows us to work together with like-minded councils to lobby and advocate for the things that we know build a great community like our city of mount gambia so we want to make sure city of mount gambia is um, really 
working into both a state and a national stage because we're the um, largest regional city in South Australia. We have an amazing economy. We have great livability and we want to make sure that the federal and state government knows about us and looks to us for great investment. Yelling from the top of our voice. Absolutely. As loudly as we can. (laughs) Now, elections are coming up. Sarah, you and I have touched on it a lot. Yes, we have. So um, so we did have a council report about local government election signs, which is a kind of complicated report, but in very uh, brief, the, there has been a change. And you'd be familiar with the normal kinds of election signs where people have core flute signs up on poles and things. Well, there's been a change as a result of local government reform that election signs can no longer be core flute or plastic But there may be other kinds of election signs that aren't uh, core flute or plastic. And so um, we'd encourage people to, if they are looking to be a candidate and looking for signage, you'll need to go and have a look at our uh, movable signs bylaw and make sure that you can meet the requirements of that. But it can't be plastic and it can't be core flute. So that's a bit of a confusing one, but we're hoping that people, if they've got any questions, they can sing out. Um, And also, um, we are heading, as you say, into local government elections, and it's nearly time for candidates to put their hand up if they're interested to become a council-elected member. So nominations open on the 23rd of August and close at 12 on Tuesday, the 6th of November. I beg your pardon. I'll start that again. Open on Tuesday, the 23rd of August and close on Tuesday, the 6th of September. And if people are interested, uh, we are holding a candidate session on uh, Wednesday, the 24th of August at 12.30 between ourselves and the District District Council of Grant, and that will be at the District Council of Grant Council Chamber. So that's information for people who might be interested in becoming a candidate and knowing what it all means, what to expect in local government. Now, Sarah, one more thing before I let you go today. I have got to ask, how are things going with Wollanda? The build is really progressing now. It's really exciting uh, when you get a chance to go in and have a look. You can see that we're getting much closer to finishes being completed. So there's tiles up, the the pools are being lined, There is uh, there's work happening on our uh, timber flooring and it is really quite an amazing um, an amazing project and it's going to be such a great facility. So uh, we're at that point now where every time you go, you can really see significant change and that's fantastic. So good progress being made. Hey, Sarah, cannot wait to talk more about Wollanda and, of course, everything that's going on at Council. As always, thanks for dropping by this morning. No worries. Thank you. This morning we get to talk all about policing matters and police have been busy, let me tell you. Jade Hill from Saipol joins me on the line. Jade, good morning. Good morning, Ewan. How are you? I am sensational, but Jade, I'm blown away by the fact that we've got a whole heap of drivers and a rider who have done the wrong thing on our roads in the last week. That's true. Our highway patrols have been incredibly busy. (laughs) So a teenager will appear in court after he was caught riding a motorcycle more than 65 kilometres per hour over his permitted speed limit in the limestone coast. That was just before 11am on Tuesday the 23rd of August. Highway patrol spotted a motorcycle being ridden on Rudock Highway at Wandillo. The 19-year-old man from Mount Gambia was riding a blue Yamaha motorcycle and was detected travelling at 167 kilometres per hour. Now, what was that again? 167 kilometres per hour. Bloody hell. Yes. 
um, the learner motorbike permit holder is actually restricted to riding at 100 kilometres per hour in the 110k zone and this teenager was reported for driving at speed, dangerous speed to the public. The motorcycle was impounded for 28 days and he'll be summoned to appear in court at a later date. So we're talking high, high speeds. We're talking a novice rider with low experience, um, country roads where, where there could be um, wildlife and obviously other road users as well. So this was incredibly dangerous. Mm. Now, we had some, uh, some other drivers that uh, were doing the wrong thing over the course of the weekend as well. Yeah, three other drivers will also face court after being stopped by police um, over the weekend. So about 12.15pm on Saturday the 20th of August, police received a report of a hit and run collision at the intersection of Avey Road and Commercial Street West in Mount Gambia. Police alleged allege that the driver of the blue Holden sedan failed to stop after the crash and exchange particulars with the other driver. Short time later, police located the car on Kafperko Road at Compton. The driver refused to stop and the car was pursued for a short time by police when it was abandoned on Meagle Road and the driver ran off. The driver was soon arrested afterwards and that was an 18-year-old man from Compton. He was charged with engaging in dangerous driving to evade arrest, driving an unregistered and uninsured vehicle, failing to drive, uh, sorry, failing to give way and failing to exchange details at the scene of the crash. So... He was bailed to appear in the Mount Gambia Magistrates Court on the 10th of October. And then we move on to the next one, which was 10am on Sunday the 21st of August. Um, our Limestone Coast Highway Patrol spotted the driver of a Mitsubishi sedan on Gordon Street in Narracourt for a random breath test. This was a 37-year-old man from Narracourt driving who returned a positive roadside test, um, was taken back to the station for a breath analysis but failed to comply with police directions to provide samples of his breath. He was reported for failing to comply with a breath analysis test. He was issued with an immediate licence for 12 months and his vehicle was also impounded for 28 days and he'll be summoned to appear in the Maricourt Magistrates Court at a later date. And then Ewan, our lucky last driver, was at about 5.20pm on Sunday. Another Limestone Coast Highway Patrol stopped a 69-year-old Maricourt man driving a Holden sedan on John Street, Panola. The man was breath tested and allegedly produced a breath a blood alcohol reading of 0.148, so that's almost three times the legal limit. He received a, an instant loss of licence for six months, had his vehicle impounded, was reported for drink driving and will appear at the Mount Gambier Magistrates Court at a later date. Just amazing. Now, Jade, one of the things that we need to tell people about, there is a scam going around and it's all about our mums. What can you tell me? Yeah, so there's, you know, you and scams themselves are not new. We've talked about these a lot, but the tactics and methods being used to carry out scams are continually evolving. And by being smarter with your data, verifying the source or knowing how to spot scams, this can protect um, yourself from losing your identity, your reputation and also your life savings. So traditionally scams have been conducted via phone and mail and while these are still prevalent, our resilient, sorry, our reliance and use of new technologies such as the internet and email also present scammers with additional opportunities to reach potential victims and also obtain personal information. One of the latest scams to be wary of is the high mum scam and Australians have actually lost 2.6 million to this notorious scam already this year. Wow. Yeah, ScamWatch data suggests more than 1,150 people nationwide have fallen victim to the scam in the first seven months of 2022. A majority of those have been occurring in June and July this year. So you and this is known as high mum or family impersonation scams. Victims are contacted most often through the WhatsApp um, application by a scammer posing as a family member or friend. 
and the scammer will claim that they've lost or damaged their phone and are making contact from a new number. Once they've built rapport and gained trust with their target, the scammer will then ask for personal information such as photos for their social media profile or money to help urgently pay a bill, contract or replace the phone. And the scammers justify the needs for the funds because they can't access their online banking. South Australia Police warn community to be really wary of messages from unknown numbers claiming to be from their children, parents, relatives or friends. And it's also really important to stop and actually think if you do get a message, um, especially on an application like WhatsApp, because chances are it's not your family member or friend, it's likely a scammer. If you do receive suspicious messages from a number that you don't recognise, we want people to independently verify that contact. So if you're contacted by someone claiming to be your son, daughter, relative or friend, start by calling them on the number already stored in your phone to confirm it's no longer in use. And if they pick up, you know it's a scam. If you're unable to make contact, you should try a secondary contact method and also just know who you're talking with. Over two-thirds of family impersonation scams have been reported um, with victims as women over 55 years of age, which is accounting for more than 1.4 million in losses. So if you have reason to believe that you have been scammed, contact your bank as soon as possible. They may be able to find where the money went, block the scam accounts and also help others to avoid sending money to scammers. Of course, community can also contact their local police station to seek assistance with this, and you can report it to Scamwatch as well. Mm. Hey, Jade, it is always good to catch up to find out what's making news policing-wise around the Limestone Coast. And look, talking about scams, it's um, it's terrible to think that uh, that scammers are becoming so insidious to impersonate parents to scam people out of uh, out of money. Um, look, thanks for joining us this morning. All right. No worries. Thanks. Take take care and stay safe. Lowestone Coasters, something really special is taking place at the moment and it culminates in a dinner that's taking place this weekend. St Martin's Lutheran College is celebrating 40 years and I have got the principal on the line, Alan Connor. Alan, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Ewan? Mate, I am sensational. You guys celebrating 40th anniversary. Uh, Number one, congratulations. How did the school begin? Well, it's, a, it's actually quite an interesting uh, history. Uh, it all began back in 1979 when the St Martin's Church uh, congregation uh, convened a committee uh, to investigate the feasibility of establishing a school uh, here in Mount Gambia. The result of that study showed that a Lutheran school could be successful uh, and on that basis it was recommended that St Martin's Lutheran Primary School be established. Uh, on the 7th of June 1981, Mr Neil Forward was appointed as the founding principal And then on the 18th of October 1981, Mrs Shirley Crook was appointed as the first teacher. Then in early 1982, the first student was officially enrolled in Year 1. And on the 7th of February 1982, the St Martin's Lutheran Primary School was officially opened with just 33 students and two staff on the site of the old Catholic school in Peak Avenue. Mr Shirley Crook was the teacher for Years 1 to 3 and Mr Neil Fullwood, the principal, taught Years 4 to 7. Uh, With a successful establishment of the school, uh, it became necessary to find a permanent site and after a great deal of hard work, a decision was made to purchase uh, approximately seven hectares of land at Crouch Street North, the college's current site, now located on St Martin's Drive. Mm. Uh, Construction of this new school commenced in March 1986 and continued through to December of that year. And during this time, many staff and parent volunteers, along with members of the church congregation and local community, dedicated their spare time to the construction and preparation of the new school. And it was thanks to these wonderful people and a local builder 
that the school opened on the new site on the 2nd of February 1987 with 77 students. So as you can see, it's quite a, an, all, uh, uh, an involved history uh, start, but, uh, but nevertheless quite exciting. Mm. And what have been some of the highlights of, I suppose, 40 years for you guys at the school? Sure. Um, there's been perhaps many, and but just to, to single out a few, um, 1995, with the growth of student enrolments, the school began the process of double streaming classes through the uh, primary years. Uh, then in 2004, uh, St Martin's Lutheran Primary School became St Martin's Lutheran College and expanded to include secondary students, uh, and that led to the first class of Year 12 students graduating in 2008. Uh, then in 2010, the college celebrated uh, reaching uh, 500 enrolled students. Uh, in uh, 2020, uh, not that long ago, the college was reorganised into three sub-schools with a junior, middle and senior school. And today we have a college of uh, around 780 students with two streams in the junior school and three or four in the middle and senior school. Now, Alan, I've got to ask the question, and you may not know the answer to this, so, you know, question without notice. How many kids do you reckon have been taught by St Martins over the course of the 40 years? Right, well, we, we, we estimate around about 3,200 students have passed through our doors uh, from the, the very first uh, start in, in 1982 when we started with 33. Uh, and as I say, we're now close to 800. So, yeah, we've been we've been providing uh, an opportunity for local students to to uh, discover and develop their individual interests and talents, uh, and enable them to pursue their dreams for as as I say the forty years, which is which is fantastic. Alan, what's next for St Martin's? Well, uh, in keeping with our college's purpose, which is to be a welcoming, caring, Christ-centred learning community where students grow, flourish, and are inspired to make a difference. We're currently working on further improvements to our structures and programs for student well-being, which is now a really you know, key thing in, in most schools. And at the same time, we're also working to implement some innovative and engaging uh, learning strategies, both in, inside and outside the classroom, building on what we already do. Um, so extending uh, into to different areas, and, and that's been fantastic. And, and we've got uh, some very keen staff who are willing to, to explore sort of different avenues and different areas there. In addition, we've just uh, finalised a new campus master plan literally in the last couple of weeks, which provides for the development of a range of, of uh, excellent new facilities in the years to, to come. So yeah, it's exciting times. Alan, you guys are celebrating this weekend. It's going to be absolutely amazing to look back at the 40-year history of St Martin's. It's been lovely to talk to you this morning to find out a little bit about the history of the school. Thanks, Ewan. Yeah, as I say, it's uh, you know we've got a we see a bright future ahead, and we're extremely grateful for the support that we receive from our school families, college friends, and the wider community around Mount Gambier and Mount Gambier itself. So yeah, it's fantastic and great to talk to you. That's it for today's podcast. I'll be back on Tuesday for everything Limestone Coast. You can catch up with me live on the radio 6 a.m. weekday mornings on the Limestone Coast 963 Triple M.